Hey everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Mycadelic, the only podcast advocating the responsible use of psychedelics and the peaceful dissolution of the federal government. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli, and this <laughs> is Mycadelic. Hey, all right, welcome. Sometimes we uh, like to have a little fun with a little uh, different kind of intro at the top, you know, maybe one of those like uh, one of those soft-spoken NPR type intros. Hey everybody, today we're going to be talking about anarchy and psychedelics. Well, we do talk about that a lot on the show, and uh, if you're new to the show, welcome for the first time. This is a show that explores big topics and big ideas in our world with uh, a psychedelic point of view, or a, a psychedelic-mindedness, as I like to say, kind of more of a, you know, just an open mind, really, is what that what that's all about, and, uh, and, and a focus on cognitive liberty, uh, you know, the freedom to express uh, ourselves and our, you know, our minds, and just kind of mental self-determination uh, that, uh, that we that we should all have, that we should have uh, the freedom to alter our consciousness in any way that we see fit. And that's uh, that's what this show is about, and that's why I like to have guests on the show that, that, that fit within that context, and today's guest is certainly one of those. Today's guest is Daniel Pinchbeck, author of the book How Soon Is Now? From Personal Initiation to Global Transformation. And uh, very great conversation uh, with Daniel um, you know, I, I just feel so grateful and so honored to be able to sit down with uh, with someone who I consider to be, you know, one of the greatest thinkers and, and authors uh, and revolutionaries of our time. Uh, you know, um, it's uh, it, it, the book that he's written is one of the most comprehensive uh, pieces of work in, in terms of identifying all the problems that we face as, as, as a human species on this planet right now and, uh, you know, where we've been and, and where we are and, and where we might need to go. And so, you know, this is really a very important book. Uh, and, and in my opinion, this book is is one of the greatest books of, of all time. I mean, at least one of the greatest books that I've ever written. And I'm a big fan of Daniel's work. And, you know, I, I really respect and admire um, people like Daniel. And I really think that he is one of the people that are, are leading the... Uh, evolution of, of of consciousness, pushing the, pushing that forward, really opening the door to uh, to to new ways of thinking and new ways of doing things, and um, yeah, I just I I really can't say enough uh, good things about about him and the book. Um, you know, he's a great guy, really nice. Uh, you know, we had a great conversation, and and his book uh, really got me right from the get go. You'll hear all about it in the conversation, but uh, but really, I mean, <clears throat> how soon is now? Is uh, is the book we we really need for for our time right now? And I must say, uh, you know, it's one of these books that uh, anybody can read. You know, uh, as long as as long as you can read, you uh, you can read this book. Um, you know, it's not done by some stuffy academic and sitting in his ivory tower, you know, just writing theoretical things that have no application in real life. Daniel is a, a field reporter, journalist style kind of guy. He's, he's out there. He's, he's in, he's in the mix of, of what's going on. He's, uh, he's had many experiences through, uh, with indigenous cultures and, and shamanistic types of, uh, experiences. And, and, and in a way he, he's kind of like a, a modern day shaman. 
common in our Western world. You know, we, we don't have the freedom to have the, the shaman be a person that can exist in, in America. And, you know, so we can go and we can, and we can experience kind of the healing that we need. But through Daniel's uh, words in his books and, and the work that he puts out, this is a, a kind of a shamanistic uh, work. You know, this is a, uh, I would say, a, a man on a, on a mission to, to um, you know, to really try and help wake people up. Uh, to what's going on and, and that's why I respect and, and admire him so much is because I'm you know I'm trying to do the same thing with this podcast but um, I, I mean really just a really incredible piece of work I mean I, I I'm not a book critic or anything but I would say this is one of the most important books of, of our time I mean it really it really is and it's a absolute page turner I mean you're you're gonna you're gonna love the book you're gonna open it up you're gonna be hooked right away there's a there's a um, uh, a, a preface in there uh, by uh, Russell Brand and 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 Sting as as well, um, and uh, it's it's really uh, it's really an incredible incredible piece of work, and it's it's <clears throat> the reason why I'm saying this so much is because he really goes and takes a lot of different ideas and looks at a lot of different things to identify various different problems that we face as a species, and offers alternative solutions, more more human solutions, more uh, forward-thinking kinds of, of solutions. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I really, that me talking about it right now is not going to give it uh, the credit that it deserves because, I, like I said, I'm not uh, a book critic or, you know, anybody like that. But I, it's a fantastic book. Go and get this book. All the links are in the show notes. And, um, yeah, you're going to love it. It's a really great read. And um, it's going to be one of these books where I think you're going to read and then you're going to read it again and uh, you're going to love it. It's really, really that good. And, uh, and, and, you know, besides just loving it, I mean, this is the kind of book that I'm going to be, for me, you know, building upon as I, as I continue my career to try and help uh, expand consciousness and, 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 and do the work that, that Daniel has put forward. You know, in a way, Daniel's really built upon the people that have come before him in such a great way by connecting all the dots of these different ideas and everything. And, and with the work that I hope to do, I hope to build upon, upon his work. And, and, you know, it's just really, uh, it's very important that, uh, that we get exposed to the, the kinds of ideas that are, that Daniel lays forth in his book. And, um, yeah, it's. I had a great conversation. I could talk to this man for, you know, for all day, all day and night. I could talk to Daniel for. I mean, uh, we we had about an hour conversation. I hope he comes back on the podcast again because I really enjoyed speaking with him. So, with that being said, um, we're going to jump into the conversation in just a bit. I just want to give a quick shout out to all of my patrons. Uh, I launched a Patreon campaign not too long ago, and I got a lot of uh, positive responses on that, so thank you. Uh, specifically, I want to give a shout-out to Vincent, to Jeff, Liam, William, Ben, and Rob. Thank you guys so much for being the first five, uh, <clears throat> or what did I say, five or six, I don't know, but the first couple of, of, uh, of patrons. Thank you for supporting me. And if you want to support me, just go to patreon.com slash Brank. B-R-A-N-C, and you can support me there. And, uh, you know, anything you can support, anything you can give is is great. You know, if it's a dollar, it's a dollar, it's two, three, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And if you can't uh, support me with, with uh, financially, that's totally fine. You can just uh, leave a nice rating and review on iTunes. That works as well. That really helps the show, and I really appreciate that very much. 
So thank you everybody for the for the love and support and for the kind words. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about today's podcast. I'm really excited about building this podcast and growing this podcast and getting you know people that uh, are inspirations to me, like uh, author Daniel Pinchback, on the show to to talk with. Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty mind blowing that uh, we're able to do that. And I I really love uh, love these uh, these opportunities I'm getting, and it's all because of uh, of your support. You know, I mean, uh, so I appreciate it very much. All right, and uh, real quick, I guess I'll just say, um, you know, <clears throat> I, I we'll probably cover a little bit of this in the in the episode today, but I just wanted to give my quick thoughts on what I think about this latest uh, aggressive military action by our uh, orange uh, toupee wearing uh, asshole in chief, and uh, for that I just say um, it's really sad. It's really sad to see that. Um, that we're going down the same path yet again. Um, and I, I don't believe what the mainstream media is saying. I don't believe what the, you know, the, the politicians are telling us they're wrong. They lie. And, uh, I recently made a, a video on YouTube called they lie, cheat, steal, spy, and kill. Um, when will it end? And I just put together a little compilation of, of clips about situations that, that uh, we've been in over in my lifetime where there's just been li- – they've lied us into wars. So, you know, the, the weapons of mass destruction thing and the first Gulf War with the little girl who was paid by the CIA to say that they were throwing babies out of incubators and all that stuff. So, you know, they constantly lie to us because they const- they want to push their agenda forward. They want to march around the globe and impose their will – uh, and dominate, and uh, you know, it's all about resources, money, and power, and control. And if you think it's about some kind of human- humanitarian thing, because they showed you pictures of uh, dead kids, you know, that's just not the case. You know, um, there's there's lots of people that are suffering all around the world, and children in need. And instead of going over there and helping them, you know, we choose to uh, to to bomb bomb Syria. Yeah, there's they're they're showing us pictures of a chemical attack and there's children, so we're going to fire 59 tomahawk missiles over there and that's somehow going to liberate them or free them. I mean, it's just a total mess and it's a huge pack of lies. And you know, the president may change, but the regime stays in power and the regime I'm, you know, talking about is this giant you know, organism that is known as the deep state and the, the corporate money interests and the banksters and, you know, the Federal Reserve and these these people that are just in this system to uh, to 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 bring about, uh, you know, just death and destruction and domination. And, uh, you know, it's I'm sick of it. It's just been my whole lifetime, you know. And then if you look at this story closer with Syria, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, they were on the eve of peace talks, you know, Assad is a secular dictator in in the, one of the only ones in the region, and you know, there's the, the, they 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 tried to push this lie back in 2013, and it didn't work, and now here it comes again, and it's just you know, why would he gas his own people? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And then why, you know, and then like we're gonna launch missiles in there. So anyway, look, I, I could go on and on about this stuff, but it really sickens me. And what sickens me even more is the mainstream media and how disgusting they are showing these, uh, ch- you know, coercing these children and, and, and showing us lies and propaganda. I posted this on my Facebook the other day. What Am- Amber Lyon, former CNN journalist, came out and basically said, look, CNN pays for fake stories and, and, and takes money and all this stuff. So, you know, it's it's 
it's it's all out there. You know, you can do your research and you can find out the truth because what they're telling us is just the same lie over and over again. You know, I feel like I'm stuck in this weird like Twilight Zone or Black Mirror episode where it's just like the same weird lie over and over again. And uh, and and I see through the bullshit and I think you guys do too. And really, it's just terrible. I don't want to see any kind of uh, I don't want to see us go continue down this path. <clears throat> And, uh, yeah, and Brian Williams really makes me sick, the lying MSNBC journalist. He was on the news the night of the missile launches saying, We're we're seeing these beautiful images in the night sky, these Tomahawk missiles. It's just beautiful images of these missiles firing in the night sky. Fuck you, Brian Williams. I mean, that is dis- what kind of sick, satanic person do you have to be just to call missiles firing in the sky beautiful when they're when they're when they're flying into a country that has not done anything to harm us, has not attacked us, that is a sovereign nation that we're just firing missiles into and probably killing people. I don't know what the reports have shown yet, but this is just a horrible, terrible thing, and. Um, they, they're lying to us, they always lie to us, and they're pushing their agenda forward, and that's all they care about. They don't care about us, they don't care about people, it's only about power and control and domination and destruction. And, uh, and yeah, it's very sad. But, thankfully, we have revolutionary pioneers, we have people out there who are who are fighting the good fight, like author Daniel Pinchbeck, who is on this episode today, and uh, and with his book How Soon Is Now, you know the the real revolution isn't going to be fought with 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 guns and, and weapons. The real revolution is an evolution of the mind. And when you read Daniel's book, when you read Daniel's work, you you will come to the conclusion that there's there's a new way of doing things there's a new way of of looking at the world there's new perspective to be had here and that there is hope there is a chance and that we can win this battle if we are educated and if we're well informed and if we come together and we work together to defeat these these evil people that that want to take us in this in this apocalyptic direction Anyway, so without further ado, you guys, I hope you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. And, uh, you know, please uh, go support Daniel and his work, uh, buy his book, and and just check out all of his stuff. I mean, it's just a wealth of information and knowledge and wisdom. And, um, yeah, without further ado, Daniel Pinchbeck. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window... Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Or is it perception? Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the, opportunity. the opportunity. The opportunity. Welcome to a new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli. Today, I'm very excited to speak with, uh, with this guest. I have Daniel Pinchbeck with me. Uh, author of uh, several books, uh, 
Breaking Open the Head, 2012, Return of Quetzalcoatl, and uh, his most recent book, How Soon Is Now, uh, which we're probably going to uh, be speaking uh, in detail about today. Also, uh, founder of the Evolver Network uh, and uh, Reality Sandwich, right? It's, that's I, some of my credentials. I leave anything out? Uh, there's other things, but those are, those are good. Overall, good guy. Do- documentary that I made, the 2012 Time for Change, which 20, on right? YouTube. That one, and, and uh, uh, I had a talk show for a while on Guy MTV, and now I have, as we discussed, the podcast. How soon is now on iTunes? Also, how soon is now podcast? Yeah, yeah very good uh, podcast. I listened to a couple episodes recently, so go check that out. And uh, and local East East Village dwelling uh, resident, this which is, is my, which is my nice. Haven. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of friends um, all over the the country, and they always ask me, "How do you live in New York? How do you deal with the the stress and the tension of New York?" I, I don't know. It makes me feel maybe it makes me feel a little bit more alive. I don't know. What do you What do you think? I mean, I'm from here. I feel like an Eskimo. This is my island. I was born born on Manhattan Island, so I just you know tread up and down the islands. You know, <laughs> indigenous to the land. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I just finished reading your book. How soon is now? Uh, I do per- like it. Uh, uh, unbelievable. You know, I, I really. From the first page, uh, you know, I, I re- it really kind of uh, it was. It's funny. It, it almost mirrors kind of my personal story as well, in, in a way, in a, in a little bit of a, a different timeline. If Wait, you you're, you're saying that you have a personal story? I have a personal oh, wow, story. Right. I have a little bit. I thought of a it was personal... just me. It's so strange. Yeah, yeah, it resonated <laughs> with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the it was interesting because I'm reading it. And in the beginning, you talk about being at Burning Did, Man. You tried to start a revolution at Burning Man, also. I tried to start a revolution at Coachella. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, on, on LSD. <laughs> right, yes, that is exactly correct. Okay, in, very, in, very in parallel lives. Yes, yeah. exactly. It was 2012, and it worked, right? You overthrew the uh, dictatorship. Oh, hundred percent. Or celebrating all around the planet. We're holding hands across the world singing Kumbaya. <laughs> it was great that you did that. Congratulations. <laughs> but I really, I, Daniel, I really felt uh, like I just felt a sense of connection when I was reading that because I was like, yeah, like I, I went through that exact thing. You know, I'm, I'm at this festival. Everybody's coming together. There's there's life. There's energy. There's music. There's there's no problems. There's happiness everywhere. I'm looking How at this. How about your bottled water? There was bottled water. There was bottled water, but it, oh, but they had the refill stations, so oh, those were right, good. Very good, the very bottle, good. Yeah, I went to the refill stations, and they were selling them for two dollars. They weren't gouging you, so that was good. But uh, but yeah, it was like, well, obviously, this is this is human potential right here. This is we can we can we can do something here if we can get people together. But uh, but I think we all just uh, you know we're on uh, a lot of uh, substances, and uh, but not to say that that's a bad thing. But it, 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 it did. I did resonate with that, and it did. It, I did connect with that, and um, and then to read further on when you were talking about Sandy, I was here in New York uh, as well. I was down the Lower East Side when Sandy hit, and uh, I felt the same the same kind of thing that you were talking about with uh, with that. Uh, so so immediately I was hooked uh, awesome. in, into the book, and uh, every as you can see here, um, every every page I seem to have a, a an idea or something that I wanted to add or. Or just highlight, uh, you know, drawing in in here. So, so you would actually recommend that other people buy the book and read it? I, I would recommend that. <laughs> yes, I, I would recommend that you buy the the book, uh, and you read it, and you read it again, and memorize it. They should actually memorize. You it should probably. memorize it. Yeah. Well, it really is to me. Um, you know, it really is kind of the the book that we need now in our time. Uh, Thanks. I really, I mean, that's what I felt. I mean, it's been interesting. 
I feel a little obstructed by the mainstream media. Like I haven't been able to get a review in the New York Times or the English papers or whatever. So, but uh, I felt the same way. You know, it took me ten years in different iterations to finish the book. So, but I'm really glad that you appreciated it. Yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's that could be an understatement as well. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a shame that uh, that more of uh, more of the mainstream kind of. Uh, culture doesn't pick up on this sort of thing. And so I think we, we connected because I, I, I saw that you were on InfoWars and you gave a, you know, you, they want, you wanted to talk about your book and they gave you a, about a half an hour to do so. And I thought that was fantastic to reach a new audience. And I saw a lot of like people in the comment section, like, Oh, I can't believe like this. Why would this guy go on that? Uh, but actually those, uh, you know, somebody pointed out that a lot of those comments are probably trolls, like mm. uh, paid uh, Russian teenagers or something or bots or something. But yes, because a lot of them actually had a very identical syntax. And after a while, I began to realize, oh, like maybe this is actually some weird, you know, intervention or something. The strange. So many weird things are happening right now. Yeah. We're, in, we're in weird time. We're in this kind of weird matrixy kind of time. We are. To, to, let's talk about that. Like, what, what does that mean? Give me like, I guess, the the... The, the the pitch of, of of the times that we're in now, if you can. Um, well, I mean, I think that in a way, you know, it's like the karma of America has come home to to you know bite us on the ass. You know, we've acted in a very arrogant and high-handed fashion around the world, and you know, we've taken out democratically elected leaders and you know developing countries and, and created you know CIA coups and assassinations and so on and. You know, we've done a lot of really, you know, terrible things to to keep our resources and, you know, our capitalist system kind of marching across the planet. And now this is like the apotheosis of that system. We have somebody who purely represents self-interest and greed, and uh, it feels like our comeuppance. Like either we, you know, because there are other strains in American society, you know, there there's a, you know, I mean, there was the American Revolution. There's a strain of, of liberation and democracy and civil rights and civil liberties and all these things. And now it's really a question of, you know, what, what path are we going to take? Are we going to, you know, allow ourselves to be marched into some type of, you know, long-term neo-fascism where the voting machines are controlled by the extreme right? Or is there actually going to be like a people's uprising and, and, a, and a shift in the, in the whole culture of, and consciousness of the, of the, of the, of the country? Yeah, like we're we're at a crucial point, you would say. Feels like it. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel like that. Um, you know, I was reading somewhere that the atom bomb and LSD were invented in in uh, a similar time period. Yeah, and 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 then it. it I read that in my book. Actually, I, think I read about that in twenty twelve. Yeah. <laughs> the have. final solution. I was actually like uh, Albert Hoffman, who uh, you know invented LSD um, in the thirties. That in the, he was in Basel, in Switzerland, which was also like a medieval center of alchemy in 1943, and he began to have dreams of this molecule. So he decided to remake it in the laboratory. He'd never done that before, and got some on his hands and had the first LSD trip. And I think the first intentional LSD trip was the same week they were doing the final clearing of the Warsaw Ghetto. So it really does feel like some strange um, synchronicity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I really like this i this this uh, idea. Um that uh you know that 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 this is sort of kind of a, a as you say a planetary initiation phase right well i mean we're we're unfortunately we're in a very distracted culture uh narcissistic culture trump is also a perfect you know projection of the of the narcissism we see in the selfie culture and instagram all that stuff 
And, you know, somehow we have to rally to recognize that if we continue on this path, we're, we're not going to have a future as a species on this earth. It's really uh, unfortunate. But, and I don't, I don't, you know, at this point, I have to be honest, I'm not feeling, you know, this week anyway, I'm feeling a little demoralized. I'm not feeling like we're going to make this, you know, shift without a lot of, you know, maybe pain and suffering or, you know, but yeah. So for instance, like tropical forests are being cut down all around the planet. They, they provide 20% of our oxygen. Um, you know, we have more than 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The last time there was this much CO2 in the air, temperatures were four degrees Celsius warmer and sea levels were a hundred feet higher. So that's where we're trending, uh, but it doesn't happen incrementally. In fact, there can be a bigger spike uh, for a while. And at that point, when things get that much warmer, the plankton in the oceans don't want to reproduce as much. And they produce over 60% of our oxygen. So we're, we're on the verge of asphyxiating ourselves on, on many different levels. And um, people still don't seem to want to focus on the fact that we just can't, you know, keep doing this, this juggernaut, you know, the system. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to me. I feel almost like flabbergasted and just like what, like I I, I don't. But but when I when I look at it uh, from like an, maybe an individual level or an institutional level, it seems like it seems like this is what we do. We wait until the we're on the precipice of disaster and or you know for some terrible event to happen until we can jolt out of our slumber and wake up to do something. Unfortunately, you know. Waking up to do something is probably too late at that time, but you know what history shows is that uh, that that's sometimes the case. Whether it's the you know the the banks failing or you know the all kinds of the of, of these things happening, and uh, and then and then and then we have to uh, you know readjust in some terrible way that uh, that we 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 didn't want to. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, different different scenarios are possible. And there are like junctures of tremendous surprise, you know, like one of them was the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Like right. if you go back to the 70s and 80s, you know, there were, you know, a lot of think tanks and, and research institutions. Nobody was predicting and writing that, oh, like people are actually sick of communism and they're going to rise up and they're going to like take down the wall by hand and that'll be the end of the Soviet Union. You know, everybody would have thought that that would have led to war or nuclear war or, you know, whatever. And it turned out that, People had had it, you know, and, and even the military, you know, which could have shot the people who rose up, stood down, and that was the end of the Soviet Union. So, so we never know how close we are to a kind of threshold like that. Now, the problem, what happened there was that, um, you know, um, kind of the wrong ideas that got implemented. And, and for me, this was like one of the core reasons why I felt the necessity of writing this book and trying to get the, the, this information and, and perspective out is uh, if you go back to like Naomi Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine. Did you read that? I did not. That's awesome. But she looks at how like uh, these neoliberal economists of the Chicago school starting in the 60s, uh, they didn't like the direction of society that the middle class was growing and people were becoming more affluent and that was leading to more education, more civil unrest. They wanted it to go back to more like oligarchy. Mm -hmm. But they realized that their ideas were not you know, popular at that time so they said, okay, well, we've got to wait. We've got to prepare a whole network of think tanks and institutions. And then when a crisis comes, we can rush in. Milton Friedman, who was the head of the school, the Chicago School of Economics, yeah. actually said this. He was like, you know, when a crisis happens, the ideas that get applied are the ones that are lying around. So our job is to be ready for that opportunity. So when the Soviet Union happened, these right-wing economists rushed into all these countries. And they said, okay, this is what you now do. You take all of your state-owned, you know, collectively-owned resources. 
you privatize them, you sell them off to the highest bidder, and that'll create the best society and the most affluence. So that's what they did, in fact. When we look at what's happening now with the people who are running our show, we can basically guarantee there's going to be systemic crises ahead. We don't know if it's one year, two year, five years, you know, probably not further than that. So then what are the ideas? It could go more towards you know, pure authoritarian fascism where borders are tightly controlled and you know, the xenophobia, and racism and all these things become more institutionalized. Or that could be the opportunity for a shift, uh, an awakening, a shift in a different direction towards uh, you know, equitable sharing of resources, you know, focus on the health of the biosphere, um, transition away from, yeah, kind of the ideology that that's still dominant right now. So that's why I felt it was really important to have this book out, you know, seed these ideas and hope that they bear fruit, you know, at some point. Yes, no, definitely seeding those ideas is, is uh, very important. And I think uh, these ideas have been kind of percolating in in my mind too as 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 uh and now you know it's i have it even more from from reading this book and 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 just kind of having a real solid foundation to build on more and more of these things because i've been talking about a lot of these things one of the things i've been talking about a lot uh and and that i i think i originally might have heard graham hancock talk about this was you know we've kind of severed our connection and you and you write about this extensively with uh with the planet with nature we we've severed our connection with the the mystery and and the wonder and the and the cosmos and all that that stuff the things that really kind of make us human and we we have no rites of passage for people anymore apparently so, the statistic is um the average american can identify less than 10 species of local native plant and more than 1000 corporate logos <laughs> so yeah, it's like, it's like we've sep- we, 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 spring. All right. we've substituted this kind of uh, you know artificial uh, reality right. for for uh, the the uh, nature you know and I'm an urban person I was from New York like um, you know it's kind of ironic like for me this was like a kind of a very like rational you know thought process to ex- work through all of this stuff and I'm not pretending to be like deeply connected to to nature myself you know. But uh, I, I see that, you know, this, this would have to become a, an alternative uh, paradigm in a way. Yeah. And like you were saying before, we should have something ready to go for when some, you know, a crisis emerges. So we have a, 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 a system or I don't know necessarily what working, you want to call working it. Working prototypes. Working prototype, uh, yeah, for that will, that will be radically different yeah. than, than, than and, these old thoughts that function within the system. Exactly. And, and you know, and it's not about, you know, being a Luddite or trashing what we've built. I mean, there are these kind of retro primitivists like John Zerzin who basically think we should go back to hunter-gatherer. You know, that would be the preferable thing. But we're not going to do that, you right. know, without a huge die-off in, in the horror. Yeah. But, you know, instead we should think about how do we, you know, repurpose the, the efficiency of distribution and the marketing skills of capitalism to bring about a, a transition to uh, what I talk about in the book is a regenerative uh, social design. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that a lot. And I, I really like uh, the idea of the hunter-gatherer lifestyle in terms of local decentralized communities of individuals that know each other, that can share. But let's take what worked best out of that and apply it to what works best today, right? And then we can maybe make some kind of 
global village uh, that Marshall McLuhan kind of talked yeah, like about this this nomadic retribalization of humanity. R- exactly way, yeah. right. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Stephen Johnson? Uh, he wrote a book called Future Perfect. Yes, um, in fact, I was friends with him many many years ago, and uh, I've looked at some of his work for sure. Yeah, I yeah. I I, uh, I I enjoyed that book, and um and, and I really think that that is uh, a good key ingredient to have because we have the technology nowadays to connect with each other, to connect with like-minded individuals. And we can really use it to leverage these kind of, uh, you know, archaic ideas, uh, what, what, like maybe Terrence McKenna would talk about with the archaic revival and, and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I tried to offer kind of a comprehensive model of what that could be like. Oh my God. I mean, comprehensive. Yeah. I mean, you got everything in here. I mean, <laughs> literally everything, uh, left out a couple of things. <laughs> what, what did you leave out? Well, public health, for instance, and uh, education would have been the two other, two other areas I could have covered. Okay, so great. So I'm just looking through, and I turn to a page that that says mythology, and I you know I'm a big fan of of Joseph Campbell and and his work, and and uh, and so I think that uh, one of the notes that I've written down here was uh, that uh, you know when when something about belief, you know, it's like these these systems of belief that we that we have where if enough people kind of believe in something, then we can actually come together to make that happen. And I think that individually, we're all on a kind of a hero's journey, but collectively, I think as a planetary uh, whole, we, we've kind of gone through the realm of the dark period. I think we're ready to return uh, to, to, to something that uh, – to return as the hero again uh, co- collectively. Beautiful. I mean yeah. that, that would – you know, that, that's our best option for sure. <laughs> that would be nice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, – yeah, we could really, you know, um, I mean, you know, my book, I think, is complemented by other books that are coming out now. What is called post-capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book, you know, basically looks at how, like, you know, we could use automation. Uh, you know, one way that Trump stole the presidency was by saying he was going to bring back the golden age of industrialization and reemploy all the factory workers. Yeah, but right. we know that's that's not going to happen. And right. Nor should it happen. Because those jobs aren't really fun jobs for people. Like, let let the machines do the drudgery. You know, that's what they should be for. And then liberate human beings to, you know, love more, spend more time with their families, learn about the subjects that interest them, to cultivate their unique uh, individual gifts and unique individual essence. You know, so in a way, the model would be towards, like, uh, it might take 20, 50 years to get there, you know, kind of post-work uh, society. You yeah. know, where where people you know would maybe grow some of more more of their own food, be more connected to their local ecologies, you know, but also um, yeah, not have to struggle so much. Like you know, it seems like we created all this industrial machinery and and so on to to you know take the burden off of being human, and yet everybody is in this anxious mode where they have to work more and more and and so on. Yeah, it seems like what's the point? You know, we we you know we humanity has evolved to be these tool builders to make things a little bit more efficient for us to, you know, with the end goal of leave, you know, leaving us with more leisure time, what we, what we enjoy to be human. But now it seems like we're just slaves to this giant system that, uh, that seems to be just omnipresent. Like we're, we're in this and, and, and massively destructive and totally yes. out of control yeah. and anti-human and, uh, and anti-human. And there's this sort of uh, really, I think kind of, uh, dangerous uh, ideology, which is almost like a religious ideology of the singularity, yes, yes. which has become, I think, sort of this underlying religion of like Silicon Valley and, and corporate, you know, globalization yeah, and so on. That scares that's, me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel a little threatened by that and a little scared by that with, with so many people buying in to this idea that 
we're just going to merge with machines and everything's going to be like, uh, you know, super duper fantastic. I mean, we are, we are already, you know, in some ways merged with machines. Sure. Like even right now we're merged with these microphones and headphones. Yes. And computer yes. That's recording all this. Yes. So it's, I think it, this is serving us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to so, our benefit. so, yeah. so, you know, we have to figure out the sort of subtleties of this distinctions of where we're crossing over and, and maybe like, you know, feeding into like becoming the slaves of the machine rather than, you know, being masters of the machine and using it for, for our benefit. You know? Yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of look at um, uh, the institutions that hold power in our world as these kinds of run amok machines. You know, we built them to make our lives better, and now we're serving them. And it doesn't make sense. And, you know, they keep telling us that, you know, if we have a phone, an iPhone, or if we have a you know, uh, Nike shoes or something, we're going to be happier, we're going to be better, we're going to, you know, Pepsi with the Kendall Jenner thing, I don't know if you saw that, it was out absolutely disgraceful. She's, uh, so this commercial Pepsi ran recently, they, uh, they, they put Kendall Jenner, one of the, you know, Kardashian uh, whatever, and uh, they, there's a commercial, there's protesters in the street, and then there's police, and she comes out with a Pepsi can, and she gives it to the police officer, and you know everything's all all of a sudden magically better. The protesters come together, and the police come together. Amazing. I mean, it is just like you you mentioned before with the neoliberal thing. It's like this neoliberal like concept of like hijacking this this raw, real, truthful message of revolution and rebellion, and then repurposing it and packaging it into the system. I think you mentioned this in your book uh, as well, uh, uh, referencing um, a Slav. Uh, oh. Uh, Slavov, uh, Slavoj Zizek. Zizek. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, I mean, I, I think that's definitely the the power of you know sort of hyper capitalism. Right. Is it is uh, an expert kind of system for for assimilating uh, resistance? You know, icons. You know, like uh, energy because because anything that's resistant, you know, expresses itself in like style or aesthetics or you know a new form of music, yeah. and then that becomes something that that the machine that assimilates to to sell more crap. You know, yeah, uh, and it's yeah, it's 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 quite fascinating. And I guess like you know that that was one of the questions that I I, I you know if if there's a way to reverse the logic, the polarity, so that like the um, the, the 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 revolutionary liberational movement that wants to happen that would seek to really create a world where our whole human family could live you know in in, in harmony and and you know have what we needed and so on if that if that you know movement towards liberty and individual you know creativity and so on could actually turn around and assimilate now this sort of corporate machine you know yeah so let me see if i can get this straight so like because i know you talk about this in the book too kind of using this infrastructure and to kind of using it to serve us and 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 repurpose it for uh, is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, like um, you know, with the internet, it could be the greatest learning democracy tool imaginable. Like mm. people could, you know, work work less, particularly working less on jobs that have nothing to do with the health of the ecosystems of the planet or the or the health of local communities. You know, and they could learn more about anything that they want to learn, and they could become more educated to participate democratically not just every four years having to choose between one of two assholes, like totally compromised and corrupt uh, idiots, but actually, you know, be, be ongoing participants in a truly democratic process. I mean, that's, that's the opportunity that, that, you know, to me, there's obviously there through the internet in a way that's been the, 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 the glaring obviousness of that opportunity is actually obstructed by these, these sort of, uh, you know, for things that have 
evolved quickly to capitalize on it, like Google and Facebook in a way, um, which are sort of privatizing the commons uh, in, in a sense. Mm, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 with Google and Facebook, I saw Google did some study the other day. They ran uh, on a Generation Z what they find to be cool and 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 and, and things like that. It's like Oreos, Coca Cola, and like and Google. Surprisingly, Google, <laughs> you know. And so, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, I actually I wrote about it in the book. Uh, I think I I may have uh, violated some uh, agreement or, or something. But anyway, I wrote about how. Um, I did this. I helped organize a, a meeting in, in Facebook around climate change, and imagine if you know they were to have a kind of uh, realization, you know, that they could use that platform to uh, help humanity make a rapid transition. They've got you know it's a 13 year old company started by people who are now in their 30s, yeah. young people who have a long future ahead of them on the planet. It reaches 1.5 billion people. Imagine if Facebook had on the top of when you opened it up, it said, hey, human, human family, you know, look what's happened. We, we've, we've gone into ecological overshoot and we're in danger of destroying our future on the planet, but we can redirect. And this is what you need to know. Here's what you need to know about what's happening to the species, to the oceans, to your local areas. You can drill down what's happening locally. Here's how you can come together to share resources, you know, ride share, reduce consumption, you know, form local groups, you know, reduce, you know, end use of plastic and so on, pressure companies to, you know, make products that are component based and non-destructive and so on. Right. You know, if you had a tool like that at your disposal, you could really at this point transform the consciousness of the planet, you know, quite, quite quickly. Yeah, no, definitely. And this get, gets back to the to, to the ecstatic uh, Burning Man uh, realization of coming together and making something happen, because I, I really believe that we can do that. And it, it seems to me, why are we doing these things that don't add a benefit to to ourselves as human beings? Why 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 are why do we have these jobs that people do and these things that people do and these companies like you were saying with Facebook? Why can't they 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 focus on something that really has an impact for the uh, for the individual human? Well, I think you know it'll probably happen at some moment when like the all of the polar ice caps suddenly fall into the sea or something. They'll be like, whoops, like we actually now better, you know, figure out what we do, what we do now. And it may require that level of like collective emergency. Yeah. For, and they'll for go, the, hey, for someone whole... get me a How Soon Is Now book so we can... We <laughs> I'll, can... I'll put it online for free at that point. Yeah, probably. yeah. Operating but, system. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because it's like, um, you know, one thing that happens is that, you know, we're, we're language-based creatures and we're always forming stories and myths. I mean, one of the great values of, of the psychedelic experience is it kind of like strips back, pairs away, suddenly you're like back in a kind of phenomenological zero point. And you're like, like, what is this stuff? Like, what is this money that I'm using at the store? Like, why is anybody caring about this? Like, you know, why is, why are all the streets, you know, rectangular? Why, why are there's, you know, people in their single automobiles that weigh 2000 pounds and are full of <laughs> rare minerals that, you know, should have been probably left in, in, in the earth. Yeah. It seems so foreign and strange. Yeah. But, but the problem is that, you know, so you have a thing like Burning Man, which I think, you know, had a very psychedelic undertone to it. But it becomes quickly becomes its own culture, and people are like, "Oh, like I have to dress like this," and wow. then, then there's expensive clothing to buy, and you know, expensive designer drugs to get, and I can get laid more. But it becomes its own, you know, kind of like a new, new cult or culture, and then people are identifying with that rather than you know seeing that what it's modeling is more interesting. That it's modeling, you know, as you said, this this new way that people can actually come together and, and, and uh, you know, break through the constraints and social norms. Yeah. It creates its own new norms and social norms in a way. 
Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's that's an excellent point. That that is exactly what happens, and I, I've you know, I, I've noticed that uh, w- with pretty much almost everything. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Apple, but uh, you know, I look at them when they were in the '80s and they ran that commercial with their IBM as Big Brother and you know all this stuff, and you know they started off as the small guy and now they're the big guy, and and they you know I think that's something happens, and I, I can't really put my finger on what it, exactly it is. Maybe you can help me, but. Something happens where the the message gets co opted and the the original idea becomes hijacked. I mean, even look at what are the founding fathers of of this country initially started out with a decent idea of you know freedom and liberty and limited some, government. Some of them did actually, but some of them were more oligarchical and actually yeah. wanted to restrict that kind of democratic impulse. You know, right. Um, so there's always this kind of tug that seems to be happening. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Um, you know, money is profit is very powerful. You know, uh, you know, it's, people want to feel secure. You know, if you have a billion dollars, you feel more secure in certain respects. Maybe in other respects, not. But um, it's almost like money has its own consciousness. Like uh, that's also something that I explore in the book. Uh, I really love this uh, beautiful book by this uh, economist Bernard Lyotard, uh, who is one of the. Uh, he's a Belgian. He was one of the architects of the euro. And he wrote a book called The Future of Money. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that book, he looked at the whole history of monetary systems and he found that there were different ways we can design uh, our instruments for exchanging value that a- almost automatically come with different belief systems, ideologies, behavior patterns that are inscribed in them. So for instance, we have only one form of currency, which is this monoculture that's manipulated by the private banking interests for their own benefit, you know, through the Federal Reserve, which is neither federal or, or reserve. <laughs> right, right. Um, and that, that money is interest-bearing. It's based on debt. You know, so if somebody goes to a bank to get a loan, the bank gives them, you know, the money for the loan, creates it sort of out of nothing, but then they have to go and compete against everybody else in society to bring back the interest on that loan, which mm-hmm. the bank doesn't create. So in that sense, the, the money system automatically creates winners and losers, bankruptcies, destitute people, and so on. And, you know, the winners, you know, win more and more as capitalism kind of is sucked up to the funnel to the point where now, I think it's like 65 people control more wealth than half the world's population. You know, the 17 cabinet members that Trump was appointing or wanted to appoint uh, had more wealth than the bottom third of the U.S. population, 100 million people. Uh, so this system is, 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 is you know, creating that that world and so are there other ways that you can create ways of exchanging value that have that are better for a better outcome collectively and so bernard leotard has one idea which i found fascinating is a few ideas but one of them is to create a um, a, a trading currency called the terra which has uh it has a negative interest rate or uh, what's called a demurrage charge like you know if you have a bunch of cookies you know, the cookies are going to go back down in value over the next few days. So you want to get them into circulation. You want to give them out. And a lot of the things that have actual tangible value for us are like that. They degrade in value. Like a new phone, you know, is valuable when you get it, but two months later, it's not worth so much. Right. So, you know, instead of having a money that gains value, if it's if it's hoarded, you could have a money that, that, that loses value. So it has like a timestamp. So you, you get, I give you 10 teras, and you know that next month you're only going to have 8.6 left. So you don't want to hoard them. You want to you get them into circulation. So maybe you'll want to support other friends' projects or, or, or things that you believe in or something, you know, rather than thinking that you're going to just put them all in the bank and you're going to be really happy and have a big townhouse or something. 
Yeah, no, that's a great, I like that idea. And, uh, and you, you know, you really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about, you know, really when you break it down, cause I, 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 I find that uh, a lot of people in that I associate with to, to some degree to kind of have almost like a negative uh, image of money. It's kind of evil or, or something, and, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's just a system of exchanging value, but I think we can do a little bit better. Well, it is. With it exchanging is an, actually, value. I mean, I kind of agree. You know that it is. I wouldn't say evil, but you know, it, according to uh, Leotard, it's a it's a what he calls a yang currency, and we don't have any yin currencies. So it's a yang is like the you know the masculine aspect. So it it leads to competition, hoarding. You know, as I said, debt. You right. know, bankruptcy. You know, and the, the alternative would be to have another currency or other forms of currency or other ways of exchanging value that that ha, that that bring about different. Uh, you know, kind of uh, behaviors. Yeah, the hoarding thing is definitely a problem, uh, and I like the idea of of the the you know being kind of compelled to uh, to to put value back into the world and exchange uh, that uh, with the with the Terra uh, concept. Another one that's fun is a friend friends might have a platform called Time Republic with a K, and it's a timeshare system. So like, you know, you do an hour for somebody, like uh, changing their light bulbs or whatever, and then. You bank an hour from them, but then you can use that to have your kids looked after for an hour or something. So that's like another alternative. And you know, I, I mean, it's exciting what we're seeing with the blockchain, yeah, which is the underlying yeah. you know platform for Bitcoin. But it could allow for other currencies to be formed that that might actually have a similar impact. Like you'd have a currency that's based on like you know permaculture, agriculture, or something like that. So it actually. The, you know, as you, as people buy into that currency, they're they're buying shares into some like network of farm cooperatives or something. Yeah, no, that's amazing, and I and I think that we we really live in a great moment now where we actually have the ability to make these things happen through the internet, which is one of these great things where we can come up with these alternative solutions, where you know, exchanging time and and things like that, which is a, a fantastic idea, yeah, or, or even what we're doing right now, like what you're doing, like you wouldn't have had the tools to make this type of media that. Could reach you know you don't know it could reach ten people a hundred people ten thousand a hundred thousand you know you know we we you know that that is really uh, amazing also yeah you know. yeah no the 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 currency uh, of information is something to to be valued uh, I, I I at least appreciate it very much so I I lived somewhat of almost I would say some maybe like a an unconscious kind of auto autopilot life for maybe the first twenty years or so of my life. Growing up in the suburbs, just outside of New York, and um, you know, just I guess an average, you know, kind of environment or whatever that means. But uh, but then all of a sudden, I found my I found you know found out about all these different ideas and, and different things, and because of of the internet, where you know when you go to school, they don't teach you about these kinds of things. And like you were saying before, the mainstream media is not encouraging this kind of of thought. There seems to be uh, this kind of system of control in place. Yeah, I mean. Um, um- yeah, exactly. And now also, I mean, over the last couple of years, you know, with Trump's, uh, you know, election, obviously, in particular, we're seeing also the, the shadow side of uh, the Internet and the new technology, communications mm-hmm. technologies, because they also allow for, you know, kind of uh, really horrible ideas to propagate and ideas that we thought we never were going to hear about again, like uh, Nazi ideas are, right. are now in, in currency. And uh, it's really it's really quite uh, amazing how quickly um quickly that happened. Yeah, I think it's a it's really you know, I mean, yeah, the your book is so aptly titled How Soon Is Now because I feel like it's really is almost a race to to the, be, the to discover the best ideas. People are 
uh, ready for something to happen. They they want to change. They so maybe they're gravitating towards some of these old bad ideas because they just don't know. Right, they don't have access. Right, or, exactly. They're 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 you know they're choked off in a way from from uh, authentic uh, forms of information, and they're aware that the government is corrupt. You know, so they were given a choice between these two horrible candidates, and a lot of them were just like, "Fuck it, I'll just choose the one who's going to blow everything up," you know, because I don't want this thing to go on anymore. And, and I really think that's what a lot of the Trump voters, you know, were saying. A masochistic uh, not, vote. It's not even masochistic. It's like this is a fraud. You know, wealth is being more and more concentrated. You know why? Why pretend? You know, let let let's let's see if the system just blows up. Mm. You know, it's uh, so I think it's a cry, an outcry in a way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of blowing up, I mean, recent events of yesterday have uh, really um, made matters even worse, as far as I'm concerned. You know, with the with this attack in Syria and whatnot. Uh, you know, I, it, it, I this is something I feel very passionately about with the with the wars and. I mean, you can't even really call them wars, really. I mean, it's just a aggressive march across the globe for resources and. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I think I think that whole construct of war has has changed, and in, in, in a way, um, war is kind of like a multi-dimensional, um, you know, kind of uh, construct. In, in a way, yeah, this was like you know a kind of a, a a kind of mind war, you know, with Fox News and Breitbart and and these conspiracy false news websites. The way they managed to, you know, Steve Bannon is on the board of this company called Cambridge Analytica, yeah. and they, uh, you know, created psychological profiles for everybody in the U.S. based on their Facebook likes and, and what they like on Google and so on, and then they were able to target them with specific messages, kind of exploiting the sort of fractures and breaks in their psychologies and their belief systems. Then, because when they click on it, they're like, oh, I'll just feed them more stuff like that, you know. And so suddenly it was like. Like, you know, a Pizzagate being a big example, like, you know, the evidence for it is extremely bizarrely flimsy, yet people became so completely certain about it. And, you know, and it is partially the fault of the mainstream media because the mainstream media has been very co-opted and very, very bought and, and sold and, and, and dis- disgusting in a way. Like I just watched uh, the other day this uh, devastating uh, video called a uh, movie called Vaxxed. Have you heard about it? Uh, no, I haven't. No. It's a... Uh, it's a documentary about the uh, link between autism and vaccines. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm get, I, I don't I don't know if it's the case, but it makes a good case that the CDC uh, suppressed uh, you know evidence that there was a link, and the the level of what's happening with autism is unbelievable. Like there was like didn't exist in the 1930s. You know, like 10, 15 years ago it was one in 10,000 kids. Now it's one in 45 kids. Mm-hmm. A kid is being diagnosed with autism every seven minutes in the U.S. And they talked to one MIT scientist who looks at the exponential curve of it. She says that by 2035, one in two kids in the U.S. will be autistic. Now, that is like a devastating. Like I can't, it's, it's, first of all, like to have an autistic child, your whole life is is screwed. You know, like not only you only think about them as children, but then, then you know, they showed they in this film. Up, yeah. yeah. It's like you have a, you know, a six foot two, two tall, you know, burly yeah. 20, 20 year old who's autistic, who right. can't control his feelings. Who's a danger even to his own family. It's heartbreaking. And, but, I, I worked but, with uh, some children like that, but over, it's like, yeah. why aren't it's, it's we, this should be like, you know, the biggest news in the world should be like, we have to figure out if it's not vaccines, like whatever is the cause. Cause we know it's environmental. It's either, you know, antibiotics or pesticides or plastics, whatever the hell it is, this should be like, you know, uh, a huge outcry and, and focus. But the you know media doesn't just go into it. The government doesn't, you know, go into it. 
um, you know, it's it's unbelievable what what the priorities of the system are right now. And people have a right to be outraged against the mainstream media and against the government, but they need real alternatives. You know, which which in a way I think, you know, Bernie Sanders was was trying to provide that. Like he was at least somebody human and trustworthy and with a, with a perfect pedigree of trying to do the good thing and, and you know the democratic party you know treated him like they trashed him and the media the new york times they all trashed him you know so now we have this nightmare yeah yeah i i, I lean more towards uh anarcho uh libertarian side of things but but i did feel bernie got a raw deal i mean i could only imagine what it, what it would be like if it was him against uh donald trump in the in the elections but yeah, they really don't seem to know what they were doing. I think they they had a plan from the get go for Hillary, and uh, and um, you know they really uh, they they well, really she's screwed a, you know, themselves. She was a shill for you know the, the, these Wall Street interests, but they've discarded her. Like you know, I mean, a friend of mine went to a conference, uh, you know, sort of business investor conference, and the head of like Goldman Sachs was there, and he's like, oh yeah, we're fine with Trump, no big deal, you know. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? No, it's it's it, it's just that's what that's what you know. I mean, as I as I discuss in in the book, um, you know, because of the way the economic system operates, it self selects for sociopathic uh, character types. Right. Like, um, you know, I mean, the two, two underlying themes of the book. One is that we mentioned is that we can look at the ecological crisis as a rite of passage or initiation for humanity, which will either force us to level up to another level of maturity and responsibility as a species, or we're not going to continue for very long on the planet. Uh, but then also as part of that initiation. We can recognize that, uh, you know, humanity as a whole is like a planetary superorganism that's in a symbiotic relationship with the Earth's ecology of the whole system, right? And uh, and when we look at that, then we're like, oh, this is like an evolutionary process. Like, you know, the capitalism was this primitive, brutal mechanism that brought the world into one, you know, global civilization that created the trade routes and now the communications infrastructure. But now we need to go from the sort of the unconscious inertia of this thing to awakening up within it and being like, okay, like we can redirect. We don't have to like modernism was an idea. Patriotism was an idea. You know, these religions were an idea, but we don't have to, you know, be attached to those ideas. We can rethink, you know? And then, so we have to think about how corporations function. And in a way, I believe that corporations, if we think about humanity, I hope you don't mind if I go on a little riff for No, a please, yeah. No, yeah. No, I, I, I love it because I, I was just going to add, yeah, I know exactly. I, I love that part of the book where you were talking about the cells in our body. They're yeah. all functioning. They all have individual purposes to function, but they work together as a whole, as a collective. And yeah. I was thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, like it makes sense. Like as this big organism, we ourselves are these organisms and we go through these periods of maturity through our lives. So yeah, please continue. Totally. So, so yeah, so we could look at, Corporations, strangely enough, is almost like the nascent organs in humans, humanity's collective body. Like an energy company is like the blood circulation system, you know, or the media company is like, you know, our eyes and our ears for an individual that take in the raw sense data. Then that data gets converted into kind of, uh, you know, memes that then directs, you know, how the organism chooses to function, you know, whether it identifies you know, a stick or a snake as a predator or, or something to eat or right, something to run away from. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, a sanitation company is like the liver or the kidney that's breaking things down. So we have to recognize that in a way it's an evolutionary advance that these things are working like that. But because of the way we've constructed our economic system, it's suicide by design because we've created these artificial life forms, let's say these corporations, and we've injected them into a game that we also created called the stock market. And we've said they only have one way that these that these entities 
grow and thrive and flourish, they have to only maximize financial value, shareholder value. So that's what they have to do. So if you're if you're from you know as an artificial life form of corporation, you know you're like okay, like I have to evade environmental restrictions. You know I have to corrupt uh, you know legislation. I have to buy lobbyists. You know and also within my organization, I need to self-select for those individuals who are only interested in maximizing profit and don't even think about externalities like environmental costs, like human costs, you know, so then you have these companies that are operating like that, you know, so you can't even really blame British Petroleum, you know, for destroying the Gulf of Mexico or potentially these pharmaceutical companies for these uh, tainted vaccines that are poisoning, you know, all, all these children. Right. You know, we have to recognize that it's a, it's a systemic. I mean, you can blame the individuals, certainly, and, and we probably will need to. You know, but it's but it's a systemic uh, disaster. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's like you know these these come they're 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 functioning to the best of their ability within the rules of the game that has been created and the and within the the realm that we allow them to. You yeah, know, really. We, we need I mean, to really redesign the game so that you know for for a, an entity an organization orchestration, you know, to win at the game. More of an infinite. It has look, to be, yeah, yeah infinite, right, an infinite game rather than like a, a zero sum, but it has to be like, you know, maximize the health and diversity of the biosphere and of local communities, you know, support ecological health, um, you know, yeah, yeah, bring in those types of uh, uh, functions. You know. Right. So we have these, 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 these systems and, and these institutions and this, you know, operating on this, this higher level people who we look to as leaders or, or whatever. And then we have people just kind of common people who have their own set of beliefs and things like that. So it seems like we have a war on two fronts to win, where we want to redesign the system. We want to make the old model obsolete and then replace it with something that functions for all of us. But we also, I think, need to wake people up and to and to make them realize that look, you know, a lot of these things that you believe in, a lot of these things that we're that we're looking at, you know, there can be a different way of looking at it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, how do we do that? <laughs> What's the solution? How do we I, I, how do we I mean, jolt I'm people try, out of the robotic trance state? I tried my that best. I mean, yeah. I started that company and had a web magazine. I went to you know many wealthy people. Well, there's no doubt that you're doing <laughs> your your part. You're doing more than your fair share. But how can maybe just I don't know, someone listening to this or that's on the fence, doesn't really know. Well, I, I think mean, first the, of all, the, the, buy your book, How Soon Is Now, right, of I mean, course. The, the first yeah. thing is like <laughs> uh, they need to do what they can to reach a kind of you know coherent understanding of what's happening. And I think, you know, I do think my book is useful for that. Very useful, um, yes. But there are other books also that are useful. No, like, only your book. You're my guest <laughs> Paul, today, Paul, so it's only Paul your May, book. Exactly. Paul, Paul Mason's book I thought was good on post-capitalism. Next Jer week Jeremy I'll be Rifkin's. talking about the, the fifth turning. I'm interviewing Yeah, exactly. The, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what was the Jeffrey Rifkin's the third, Jeremy Rifkin's the third industrial revolution. I mean, there's a number of books that are, you know, out of my sight in this one. So once they have that comprehensive perspective, then, you know, when they're kind of educated a little bit, which I know is hard to do now because everyone's so distracted, then like you have to sort of build community, like like bring bring people together and, and be like, look, we, you know, we gotta we gotta face this. You yeah, know? I think I see that happening though. Yeah, I see communities forming and building, and uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that I'm doing my my part too with this podcast and kind of building a little community and and people telling me that you know they feel inspired by what I'm doing, much much the same way that I'm sure I feel inspired by what you're doing, and yeah. it's kind of this pass the buck along, uh, you know, hold the carry the torch for the next generation totally. of the next group. Yeah, I mean, you know, a definition of culture is uh, learning from other people's learning, you know? So like, yeah. you know, we, you can accelerate, like, you know, somebody who reads like Breaking Open the Head, 
has a different context when they have a psychedelic experience, yes. you know, or, or whatever. That's right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit about that, I guess, uh, because that, that could be a good way for, for a little bit of a, maybe an awakening and a responsible set and setting approach, of course, disclaimer. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, so I guess maybe back to what I'll talk about with my personal story was, uh, I had, I had taken psychedelics for the first time and uh, funny enough I was influenced by Steve Jobs of all people uh-huh. because I read his biography he goes right. LSD was the greatest thing I've ever done in my life I go wait a second I thought you know here's this quote unquote responsible figure in our society advocating these things that I thought would make you go crazy so <clears throat> I took it had a wonderful experience and uh, you know I started reading a whole lot consuming tons of, of, of disparate ideas you know just, just all kinds of things from you know the Marx to to you know books with Ron Paul's written just different ideas across all kinds of spectrums McKenna Alan Watts uh, yourself included and um, <clears throat> coming to my own conclusion about about a lot of these things but also investigating myself going inward in the inner journey and uh, so there's there's great value that was a terrible idea. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to go. I've created through, a whole. Waste of time. I've created a whole uh, new no, world of problems for myself. No, no, well, yeah, though, no, but, but of course. Now of all course. of a sudden, I care about all this stuff. Yeah. But uh, but yes, better, better, better problems though. Yeah. So, but this this severing this this cutting off of of that ex- the direct experience, the investigation into your psyche and your soul to figure out what is right and true for yourself to see with your own eyes. We've a totally abandon that and in our mainstream culture totally. I mean, but thankfully for little groups and communities and tribes the burning mans and the things like that across the way I've, you know, I've i've been to peru a few times and and participated in some great uh ayahuasca ceremonies there the temple of the way of light and, and other places like that they're doing some tremendous yeah. thing great permaculture and giving back sadly i could no longer recommend that that particular center is that where you went uh, you, i did yeah uh, oh how come what happened uh i had a friend who went there and had a psychotic break after and they did not care for them properly oh uh and uh then i heard other stories from other friends who had interactions with them and because they were the one i was recommending because i love the idea that it was like yeah. Shakiba women healers right yes I, I heard a number of really unfortunately negative uh, stories about it oh no and that sucks because i really like to be able to say this is like the, the you know the clean place to go right, and, and right. they know what they're doing but i can't say that oh so, okay anyway, that's a digression but you know, no 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 yeah. uh, that's a good that's useful information yeah. um yeah, I, I myself had uh, the opposite. Many uh, people did, and that's yeah. why I was recommending it. And then I saw what happened to some this, this, this friend of mine, and it was so so terrible. W- would you feel comfortable recommending any kinds of, of places now? Or, or well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I always think it's good to do your own research and kind of you know try and really come to come to something that works for you. But gosh, I don't really have like you know one off the top of my head where I could say go here. You know, Louis Eduardo Luna does some of this type of work. Uh, there's actually a really great new book called Ayahuasca Reader, mm-hmm. which is an amazing uh, introduction to the subject from a lot of vantage points, like anthropologists and, and visionaries and, uh, you know, and so on. But uh, no, I don't, nothing's leaping to my mind at the moment. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I, uh, I had a wonderful experience and, uh, and, and it definitely, I think was, was, uh, another life changing event for me, but, um, but yeah. How'd your life change? Well, I think I became a little, I, I just, um, I became a little bit more, uh, empathetic, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that it can really do for you is dive deep into, uh, maybe traumas in your life or situations in your life that 
you that weren't really conscious. You weren't really conscious of because there's no way that you could have been conscious yeah. of them because they were something that happened on a on an energetic level when you were a child where you didn't have the the processes to to, to handle you know to make what was sense of what was going on. I know a, a Gabor uh, Mate talks very, about very this, yeah. you know, and um, and so I, I felt that there was there's great power in in uh, in recognizing and and understanding your own kinds of um, uh, issues and, and, and problems so you can really have a picture of them yeah. and kind of straighten yourself out. And, you know, I, I felt the, the connection to myself, my soul, other people, very connected to other people, the, the earth itself. So I became way more uh, ecologically conscious because I wasn't yeah. really that much before. So that was big. And, the, and just the connection to the infinite wonder of what this is all about. I think that really is what, what did it for me. And, uh, and, 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 and to go a little bit further on, on that, I think, uh, on a macro scale, you know, I look at it, uh, and, and this is what you, you talk about this in your book, you know, on the, on the collective level, you know, this, this kind of, uh, you, you, we're all going through sort of a, a traumas yeah. on a collective level. And 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 we live in this kind of toxic environment almost where we 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 were like marching unconsciously towards Armageddon. We need to pause and investigate. Yeah, you know what's going on. Exactly. So yeah. So I and, I and and I got a lot of insight into. Uh, I just felt like I was just got like a download of information from. Uh, yeah. You know, it was a quite remarkable experience. Very hard to put into words. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Have, I don't. I don't have the poetry of language necessarily to, to articulate it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as I discussed in the book. It's quite interesting because I mean, I, I had that initial like breakthroughs and, and shifted directions, but there were also aspects of my own personal trauma that uh, I couldn't address. And, and in a way, I think once you've done ayahuasca and other psychedelics a, a few times, your your ego kind of learns how to uh, reconfigure itself. And uh, it can actually, I think, have uh, negative effects on people's character. And I think it had some negative effects on, on mine. So I've had to step back and, and uh, you know, examine that. It's, know. it's work, I think, is what it is. I think if you're, go if you're doing ayahuasca or if you're participating in an ayahuasca ceremony, um, you know, that, that uh, I had a very profound uh, experience uh, where I basically just, like, merged with everything and became, you know, just this ball of light and, and it was it was very profound and it was on the last ceremony there it's funny how ayahuasca kind of reveals itself slowly yeah. to you in this way and one of the uh doc um one of the uh the people that was working there the guiding the ceremonies was like you know you don't have to understand you don't necessarily have to understand everything now it will play yeah. out and you have to you know yeah. just integrate and work on this and i kind of didn't really fully grasp that and i had went back into my life and I'd been integrating uh, or I thought was, I was integrating. But like you said, there were these flaws that I didn't recognize until one day I was in the shower and <laughs> I'm just taking a shower, regular sober. And it felt like I, boom, I was hit with like this overwhelming sense that I felt like I was tripping or, or whatever on ayahuasca again. And I, all the dots just started to connect for me again. It was miraculous. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, so I came out. I started writing everything down, and and I'm like, oh, that's the work that they were talking about. That's the oh, that's the work. That's yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. It's it sounds, it's a lot of this stuff also to to uh, to people who aren't familiar with it sounds uh, pretty uh, fantastical, you know, yeah. uh, otherworldly uh, and stuff. But I'm, I'm fascinated by by that by those sorts of things. So I want yeah, just um, 
I, I, I really do feel that uh, that we need to maybe put things in places that, that, that help people or expose people to this stuff a little bit earlier on. Um, and, and, uh, you know, your experience with, with, with psychedelics, uh, you know, yeah. that, that, that definitely has influenced you and you talk about that in, in your right. book. Yeah. And, but maybe that was part of the problem by the time I really explored it, I already had a lot of negative patterning. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and as I addressed the book, particularly I had a lot of kind of, uh, you know, shadow material that has taken me a very, very long time to work through around like sexuality. Yeah, Sh- um, the shadow material that 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 concept comes from. Uh, that's a Jungian yeah, concept, yeah, right? Yeah. Of, and I, and I've heard this. Uh, not to digress a little bit, but I heard of uh, you know this 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 kind of situation that we find ourselves in now with this Trump. It seems it's it, that this is our shadow selves emerging, so to speak. Uh, uh, so clearly, it's so it couldn't be more apparent, and it's so extraordinary. For instance, how Steve Bannon has actually in public interviews said like, yeah, like I identify with like Darth Vader and Satan, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's actually said that. And it's just like the the archetypes being uh, totally um, paraded, you know, revealed. You yeah. Know? And, and also the way that uh, the dark aspect of male sexuality is such an incredible uh, undercurrent uh, in everything uh, that went on with the election, you know, whether it was Trump grabbing the pussy <laughs> You know Hillary Clinton and the Bill Clinton and the philandering and you know Anthony Weiner. I don't know if you got into that story. Yeah, so that yeah. film Weiner is an incredible film. Uh, oh, I didn't see know, that. Yeah, where is that documentary? Yeah, I got to yeah. check that out. That is that recent. Yeah, yeah, recent yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like you know that he, you know, because his wife was uh, you know Clinton. Huma Abedin. Yeah, yeah. Who, and that was like the, the the last emails that got revealed. Right. Roger Ailes, that who was the Fox News like Republican strategist, sexually Sexual busted. Charges, yeah. uh, now Bill O'Reilly. You know, so there's this like incredibly uh, deep undercurrent of like you know uh, abusive, masculine, predatory sexuality. Yes, that is what our culture really needs to figure out what to do do with and what to deal with. We're not even nobody's even having. I don't think hardly, except in maybe a few little pockets, the right discussions around it. Because like you know, you can't you can't you, you, you we can't put a clamp on it. We actually have to figure out what is an what is an alternative social design for human beings because what 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 is an, an well in the book I, I I explore this community in Portugal called Tamara. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's obvious and one of the main reasons that many men seek wealth, fame and power in our society is to, you know, have sexual access. Right. Right. And, you know, because of this, you know, Christian, Judeo-Christian overlay, the morality and the hypocritical often and the repression and, you know, the monogamy, you know, kind of kind of enforcement, you know, it, it then erupts in all of these destructive ways, you know, like the global sex trade or, you know, sexual abuse or misconduct or, you know, whatever, you know, predatory behavior. Um, and we need to, we're not going to be able to stop, you know, men or even women for that matter for wanting to have more erotic experience. Right. So how do we construct a healthy, a holistic model for society where people, where people, where their sexuality is actually recognized as something, you know, valid, good, you know, uh, healthy, and and it's given proper ways to express itself, you know, not not in not in uh, destructive ways, and that's what this community in Portugal, uh, Tamara, has spent thirty five years trying to figure out. It was started by these German uh, leftists uh, thinkers who tried to figure out in the 70s why like all the utopian movements of the 60s ended up failing and they began to realize that it was actually these these unconscious areas around love and sexuality that led to um, 
envy, jealousy, possessiveness that broke apart these communities and movements and so on. Right. So they felt that they had to incubate like a new model for how human beings could 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 be together. And so they developed a model for um, you know community that's based on non-possessive, transparent, uh, authentic relationship. Mm-hmm. You know where they, but it's like a rigorous thing. Like they they have these you know these gatherings called the forum where people go into the center of the circle and talk about all of their interrelationships with everybody else in the community. The interestingly, the older women are kind of like the glue who hold the social structure together, and younger people will have like a, an advisor. Like you can go to your advisor in the community and you'd be like, you know, like I'd really love to have sex once with somebody and I'd be wearing a blindfold and I would never even know who that person was. And then if they think that's healthy for you, they'll actually try to like set that up for you. You know, yeah. or you could say like, oh, I'm like too shy to go up to this woman, but I'd love to have like sexual contact with her. And they can, you know, either contact, you know, see if she's interested or say, oh, you know, she has too much, too many people, you know, involved with her right now. Why do you, <laughs> think, about, why do you, think, why do you think about this person <laughs> yeah. instead, you know? Yeah. So, um, so to actually recognize that it's like totally normal, healthy, but it's the, it's the, 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 the guilt, the shame, the frustrations around it have created this uh, monstrosity that we're in. Yeah, it's it's a shedding of this cultural construct that that we seem to have uh, imposed our our will on people. Not we, but this kind of puritanical, you know, bullshit uh, that we're talking about. And I noticed that you referenced uh, Dr. Christopher Ryan, Casilda Jetha, the authors of uh, Sex at Dawn, in your yeah. book as well. Have you ever spoken with with him? Or Actually, I just a- met him uh, in L.A. I did, I did a podcast with him too. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, I didn't oh, nice. Put it out yet? I got to check it out. Oh, you yeah. you were on his show? Yeah. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to to checking that out. I think yeah. he's a great thinker and. Uh, Great author. I really liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, and um, and and that that was a that was another kind of mind opening book. His his book on uh, his book, Bra- Sex uh, breakthrough Dawn. breakthrough book. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and you know, it seems it seems like you know these things seem almost obvious when you really talk about it. It's like, well, yeah, like what's what's so wrong about exploring sexuality in a healthy way in a transparent way? But our culture seems to demonize it and kind of you know uh, section it off to to these like uh, you know these kind of like taking and yeah. aggressive functions where girls are sluts and and, right. and then all there's all this stuff and uh, yeah that it doesn't seem so healthy and then on the other hand we have like the you know uh, Tinder this kind of like instant hookup culture like junk food sex yes you know like uh, junk food sex right yeah. it's, it's it is it's uh, and it, it seems like to me it's just like we're, we're we all definitely the ideas that you talk about in your book and. You explore in your book here is is it seems like we all want these things on a deep, real level on a on a yeah. And if we had them, then we wouldn't be so destructive because we would be satisfied. We wouldn't we, be trying we, to fill the void. Right, fill with, the void with exotic, expensive vacations or new cars or you selfies. Know, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So do you have hope for the future or? Uh, as I said, I'm feeling a little demoralized right now. When I talk to you, yeah, I, you, you I, mentioned that you said you were feeling a little demoralized. What was that? Was it specifically related to something? It's just the it's just the fact that uh, I, I really believed that I did everything I could with this book to, you know, uh, make it pop in the culture. You know, I got Russell Brand and Sting yeah, to uh, yeah. write you know to write for it. I you know was really careful about the design. You know, and really thought through. I wanted it to be like an upbeat, you know, kind of vibe. And I've just been totally like shut down by the mainstream media in a way that's not allowing the book to reach the public. Well, know? I think so, that that tells you that you're onto something. It tells me that it's onto something, but it's you know it's it, unfortunate. It's, it's, it's painful. And, yeah. And, you know, like 
I, I, you know, I used to work in New York media. So, you know, I know tons of people who write for the New Yorker, New York magazine and, you know, places like that. And I probably wrote on Facebook as I was still connected to all of them from 20 years ago. I was like, I wrote probably like 80 top people. I was like, look, I have this book coming out. I spent 10 years thinking about it. Even if you don't agree with everything, you can just take a few hours. I mean, I sent them galleys. I sent them PDFs. I sent them finished copies of the book. Not one of them has read the fucking book and written to me and said, oh, like I hated it. I liked it. I cared about it. You know, and, and at that point, I'm just like, wow, this is like really like an entrenched uh, situation. Why, why, why do you think that is? Do you, do you, I, I think that partially I'm in a category for them where like, because I wrote about psychedelics and mysticism and even like crop circles and aliens, they're like, he's dismissible, you know, Rolling Stone, you know, did this takedown of me years ago. You know, that was kind of like they're the cultural marker of how the mainstream perceives. And so, you know, for the, you know, what people, because there's so much information around, you know, people quickly create these categorizations. They're like, oh, he's, he's crackpot, dismissible bullshit, you know, so I don't ever have to think any, about him in any way, about anything that he ever says being of any value whatsoever. You know, but it is like uh, it's truly uh, fucking painful right now. Yeah, well, they're they're uh, they are missing out because uh, I gotta say, I mean, you know, and the the design is great. I mean, I love the hardcover yeah uh, book uh, idea. You even have these yellow. But anyway, that's uh, that's what I you know, I'll get over. It, but that's a little bit. It's a little demoralizing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. But I mean, I'll, I'll you know I'll tell you right now, I'll do everything in my power to to promote this podcast out and, and help get this book out and spread this message because I believe that you know this this is something that is it is real and true and and raw and and, and that is although maybe a little bit di- difficult for people. It's obviously to handle. Difficult. But you yeah. know, and it's not like I obviously don't expect people to like agree with everything in the book. But oh, yeah, sure, you can't even have a discussion if they will even you know let you you know express a point of view you know yeah right exactly and, and i feel all of these different like ob- obstructions and blockages like you know because i took psychic experience and psychedelics seriously i've been totally banned from like the universities the academies i can't do anything there i'm banned from like the mainstream media you know so then i count on like i felt like you know you know info wars like yeah like like i i you know at least there there was like an open mind you know right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah and i and i i saw that and i and i thought you know um I was like, look, there, there's probably people watching this right and now. She was, I loved her. She was great. The yeah, uh, Mac, McAdoo was, was her last name. Yeah, yeah, Leanne cool. McAdoo. Yeah, yeah. That I thought it was, you know, that is what we need more of. We need more of of those kinds of conversations. Obviously, there's a disagreement there. Obviously, she disagrees with you, and you disagree with her on certain areas of things. But you're able to come together, have a civil conversation, promote your book, talk about these. I ideas. mean, I would also, I would love to do that with Alex Jones and see where we got. Alex Jones is right here. You can talk to me right now, Daniel. No, it's not a bad Alex Jones. Daniel, let's get to the bottom of this. The global elites want to ruin the planet. We got to stop with me and you, brother. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing that, <laughs> that quite a, good a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should do like, let's do a fake Alex Jones podcast. We can totally do that. That would actually be, I think it's a good be, idea. That would be a, a nice uh, little troublemaking thing to do. I'd be a part. I would definitely do that. Jones. I have with me Daniel Pinchback here, folks. <laughs> Author of How Soon Is How Soon Is Now. <laughs> Very good. I'm impressed. Yeah, I can. Uh, I have fun with that one. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Look, we're 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 heading up on a, on an hour here. I mean, I didn't I didn't get to all my my note cards. But, you want but, to hit uh, one more? Was there an essential? Should uh, we? I I mean. Uh, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, I just I just randomly popped this one. I I wrote agriculture and the beginning of slavery. Yeah. I don't know why I wrote that, but it's in here. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, 
you know, as I said, look at I look at the situation as an evolutionary process. I think that we had to get to this crescendo point at some point. But yes, agriculture had a lot of very negative impacts on human beings. I mean, it actually made people's nutrition much worse. Like hunter-hunter gatherers were a lot healthier. It created the surplus that then led to cities and then led to empires and monarchies and so on. Uh, and you know, and obviously. It's one of the worst uh, contributors to, you know, ecological destruction and climate change, mm-hmm. particularly animal agriculture, yeah. but industrial monoculture farming. According to the UN, there's only 60 more years of harvests at this way we're farming right now, this industrial system. So we'd actually really need to shift, as I talk about in the book, to regenerative farming practices like no-till permaculture. And that requires a sort of change in our operative ideology because the, the the ideology of the last 150 years has been like, oh, the countryside is boring. People are rooms. You know, we want to get them. They come to the city. It's more exciting. You know, they work in advertising agencies or doing like light manufacturing and it's much better for them. But now we need to like step back from that and be like, okay, well, actually now what we really need to do is retrain people to have a, you know, to, to do farming in a way that's restorative and repopulate the, these rural areas and break up the, these industrial monocultural farms, which are which are destroying the the the, the, the you know the the, the topsoil, and uh, you know in terms of animal farming, you know we need a we need a, a radical reduction of the amount of meat consumption, like um, even even a moratorium on it for a while. I mean, apparently thirty percent of the Earth's surface is animal grazing land, so that would be thirty percent of the surface of the planet that we could then reforest. Um, you know, and uh, obviously the misery of factory farming, the mm, antibiotics, yeah. the nitrogen runoff, the deforestation, like a lot of the Amazonian deforestation is due to you know, create soybean plantations for cattle and so on. So it's like, um, you know, and obviously, you know, a few thousand years ago when there's a few thousand, you know, a few million people on the planet or whatever, it makes sense to eat meat. But but now it has to become either a very minimal part of our diets or, or you know, something that we do without for a while. Yeah, it's strange that we, we've developed this system where we have this disgusting, despicable, hellish nightmare of factory farming and, and, and this stuff. And then we're going to these jobs and we're working longer hours than ever and we're stressed and we're depressed and we're taking medications and then we're eating the shitty food and it's this terrible cycle. It's, yeah, it's all great for the Orwellian it's all, it's all, it's, it's, Exactly. It's all for the gross domestic product, the GDP. Yeah which is uh, uh, an aberrant uh, indicator of, of real progress. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a lot, a lot better if we actually just cared a little bit more about what we put in our bodies, right? We, maybe we plant a garden. There's a, speaking of Chris Ryan, he interviewed uh, this guy, uh, Ron Finley, the, the gangster gardener. Have you heard of this guy? Yeah, he's, he's, he's planting uh, tomato plants and strawberry plant uh, fields and, and things like that in, 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 in South Central uh, Los Angeles. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. amazing, yeah. amazing uh, mission. Well, what, this might be a new uh, concept for the show. I flip to a page and we do one more. <laughs> one more? One more. Time? There All we right. go, yeah. Let's see what we got here. Let's see if it's a good one. We have a tendency to look at the world as inanimate objects, plants, and nature under our thumb that we somehow control it. Okay, so psychedelics help you with the connection to the environment. Cognitive liberty controlling our minds. Okay, I don't know. What that if there's a question there, but uh, but yeah, I, I, the, one of the things that I I am a, a you know well, the principle of cognitive liberty is that like you know as an adult we should have self determination right. of consciousness states and 
you know, all of these terrible drugs are legal, whether it's these antidepressants that, you know, keep people in these like rigid states and, you know, or, or, you know, even alcohol, tobacco, whereas these substances that actually could be very helpful for people, you know, like mushrooms and peyote and so on, you know, or, you know, we're seeing the lessening of the, of the restrictions around marijuana, which is obviously very good, you know. Um, yeah, so we, we, we deny people, you know, cognitive liberty should be an essential human right uh, along with the other ones. There you go. That's what this show is all about, folks. Cognitive liberty, freedom for uh, everybody and uh, a new path forward. So, Daniel, thank you so much for uh, taking a good the chat. Time I really, today. really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, I, uh, likewise, yeah. and uh, and we'll, maybe we'll we'll be able to book Alex to uh, to speak with you sometime <laughs> soon. So, yeah, go get the book, guys. Uh, How soon is now? Daniel Pinchbeck uh, from Personal Initiation to Global Transformation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.